What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Old friend PFF's Austin Gale is here. He's closing in on ten thousand Twitter followers. So this feels like the end uh, for Austin Gale on this podcast because he's, he's moving on to bigger and better things. He's Mr. Video on PFF's YouTube page. He's he's all over the place. Yeah, man. I, I don't think it's the end. I mean, close to 10,000 followers. I, I don't think I'm on to bigger and better things. Just uh, same old me, I guess. There's more people have seen my, my, my ugly mug. I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> no, no. Are you, um, are you comfortable with uh, the video stuff yet? Because I, I remember I checked in on you when you first started getting more and more into it. Are you a, are you a fan? Do you enjoy it? Do you want to continue doing it? Or are you more of a behind-the-scenes writer, film study type guy? Uh, I feel like I like being on camera. It's nice. I think there's some times where I feel like it's hard to fit into the schedule, but there's other times I like it. And uh, Renner and I, uh, Mike and I do a podcast now that also gets recorded live on YouTube, which I think I like that the best because I think the podcast is still very much conversational. And on camera, while there's a lot of other videos we do there, kind of have more of a professional tone. And then, I, I don't know, it's hard to kind of break away from the day, get into the professional mode and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I enjoy them. I very much love what PFF is doing and expanding and all of that great stuff. But um, one of the things I love having you on the podcast for is that I think you and I are really good at just bumbling through a bunch of stuff in a very efficient manner. We are the most efficient NFL podcast episode type on the planet, I think. So what we're going to do, um, we're about a little over halfway um, through the NFL season. I think we have enough to really figure out who teams are at this point. Like the Raiders being 500 seems exactly right. The Bills, we I feel like we know who they are. And I just kind of want to get a sense of where you think um, a lot of teams and players and things like that are at this point um, in the NFL season. So I want to start with, just for you, not PFF as a whole, but who has been the biggest surprise for you um, this team-wise? I would hmm that's a, that's a good question. I think the the Atlanta Falcons man that is a huge surprise. Mm. I think everyone would agree with that. The fact that how underwhelming that team has been with the roster and the talent they do have is it's a huge concern. I think Matt Ryan has played at MVP levels in some instances, some bursts, some games. I think you still have Julio Jones, Deion Jones. They're still not super healthy, but I still think there's enough talent on that team for them to be competitive, for them to be 500 at this point or a little bit above and competing for a spot, a playoff spot in the NFC. I think they continue to kind of not impress. It's, it's unfortunate. I think they've really underwhelmed and surprised me this year. I don't... I don't know, man. Getting off to these terrible first half starts and Dan Quinn taking over defensive play calling obviously has some paved dividends. Um, I don't know. The, it, everything just sucks there. And <laughs> I I don't know. I just, I'm worried that a lot of people are assuming it's a quick fix because the thing that you hear a lot of is like, this is still an extremely talented roster, but you've 
you're now at the point where this is a tough thing with the NFL is once you become good for several years and you draft well, you eventually have to pay all these different guys. And they've paid everyone, essentially. And there's still other guys that they're paying next season that their contracts change. And they're going to be an expensive, bad team. And I I don't know. I think it's a very dangerous situation to be in. Um, and you also don't like the stuff where they could have gotten off Devontae Freeman's contract at the deadline and didn't do that. And um, I, I the most uncomfortable conversation, I think, is probably exploring what Julio and Matt Ryan's value is on the trade block. I, I'm not sure. Um, on both fronts, what that would look like, a, a potential trade would look like, or if the Falcons would even entertain something like that. But I do think if they have another bad year next year with how much money they're pouring into this team, you start it. You, you kind of have to wonder, like, especially if you're getting in a new coach next year, if you want to just start over and um, really clean house and clear up the cap sheet. I, I don't know. I think they're, there's more pressing, difficult questions on the horizon than I think um, Falcons fans are willing to admit right now. I would agree 100%. I think that's what happens when you have, like you said, an expensive, bad team. Those difficult questions come up where you have to move on from Devontae Freeman, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, some of these guys that you've given you're paying a lot of people money. I think it's a similar situation that the Bengals are in. That is under the radar, a very expensive bad team. Gino Atkins and Carlos Dunlap both do 20 million plus over the next few years. Also Dre Kirkpatrick on a heavy contract. I think there's those teams that are in situations where they kind of should strip everything out, but can't because of these expensive contracts. That's a worse situation to be in than where I would even say the Miami Dolphins are in that they're, you know, they're completely ready to rebuild. They have, a, you know, they're gathering draft capital, gra- gathering cap space to go all in on a rebuild. These teams that are, we should probably rebuild, but we don't have the cap space in the current contract situation to do so, that is almost a scarier situation to be in, I would say. Yeah, it sucks. All of it just sucks, Austin. And um, I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting offseason um, and going to be interesting to see who stays, who goes, and all that kind of stuff. But um, who is winning games that both you and PFF as a whole didn't just don't like this season, but yet their win loss record just tells a different story. Uh, Buffalo. <laughs> I've come out okay. and say it right now. Buffalo. We just did not. I mean, the defense is playing at a very high level, but Josh Allen still kind of continues to have the same problems we saw last year. We still don't see him as one of the better quarterbacks in the AFC, but they keep uh, continue to kind of squeak out wins, playing bad competition, but also being bailed out by a very good defense. I think, you know, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are two of the most underrated safeties in the NFL. Jerry Hughes continues to deliver. He made our PFF team of the week this week with a very high grade for for his efforts. I think that defense is playing at a high level. They're getting plus play out of Ed Oliver, but as long as Josh Allen continues to kind of underwhelm, we're just not buying that team as a contender because I still don't see that offense playing at a high level going going toe-to-toe with a healthy Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. We've seen this movie before with Tyrod a couple years ago, and you know what's crazy is things just... They, some, as some things change, some things stay the same in that the Chargers are now zooming back in, and I want to talk about them in a second, but <laughs> we might be looking at a scenario where the Chargers get hot in the second half and then miss the playoffs by one game, the Bills get in, and just put together an atrocious playoff game that they have no chance in and that we all just laugh and go, why do we keep putting this team in? Like, Just give them a playoff with, like birth title and then not allow them to play. Because ultimately, <laughs> this is an entertainment league. And, I do, and part of me, though... 
does think, well, Josh Allen in a playoff game sounds like potential fun, right? Like, depending on who they get matched up with, where Josh Allen just completely loses his mind and does some 30-yard backward pass and just all kinds of crazy turnovers, like Peterman did in that playoff game against the Jags. But um, I don't know. I, I just feel like I've seen this movie before, and the Bills are just... It, it feels almost guaranteed that they're a first-round exit. They're going to sneak in, like you said, playing, feasting on a bad schedule, good defense, same kind of stuff. The offensive line's improved, but they're, I just I don't like their quarterback playmakers around him. It just... None of it just seems like a recipe for playoff success, especially in the AFC. No, yeah, I don't see it. I think with Josh Allen, the difference between him and Tyrod Taylor is that he's a lot more of a volatile quarterback, a high-risk, kind of high-reward right. option. I think when he is hitting, when that roller coaster is at the top, it's it's a very good offense. He can do these wow plays down the field to John Brown and company, but when it's low, it's one of the worst offenses in the NFL. It's very turnover-worthy prone. I think they, they, you know, they do a lot of bad things when Josh Allen isn't playing well, and I think it happens too often right now to really buy into the Buffalo Bills as a contender. It's why we're more more willing to talk about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens with the same record. Why we're more willing to talk about even even the Oakland Raiders than the Buffalo Bills because that offense is actually ranked inside the top 10 in EPA per play and yards per play. Derek Carr looks very good this year. He ranked second in um, passing grade under pressure, one of the better passing grades under pressure he's had in his career. Good quarterback play makes it easier to buy into these teams with good records. Bad quarterback play it's easy to kind of stay on the outside looking in. Were we wrong about Brian Schottenheimer all along? Because I've just been um, anti-Brian Schottenheimer going back to his stint as Georgia's offensive coordinator during the Grayson Lambert era and just not a fan, never been a fan of his run first philosophy and just very, um, even the jet stuff with Sanchez, like the curl routes, just nothing really downfield. It's I, I would just... If there was ever a list of offensive coordinator choices, like he would always be at the bottom. Um, but Russell Wilson is uh, probably the favorite right now for MVP. Uh, DK Metcalf looks like a home run. Tyler Lockett's really burst out. The running game's better. Um, the offensive line's improved. Like, do we have to give Brian Schottenheimer credit um, at this point, or do we have to see what he does in the playoff playoffs this year? Because he, this is kind of what they looked like last year, and then they didn't let Russell Wilson do Russell Wilson-type things against the Cowboys, and they lost. So I, where are you right now with the Seahawks' offensive philosophy? We were not wrong on Brian Schottenheimer at all. Right okay. now, this, this Seahawks team is what, 7-2, and 6-2? and two? And I think they have the they have an eighteen a plus eighteen point differential. They're barely squeaking out these games with the MVP yeah. candidate, like the lead MVP favorite, Russell Wilson. Brian Schottenheimer is keeping these games close. I mean, that's really where we're okay. at right now. And, and I like it. And the Seahawks defense isn't playing well. I know that it's not. It's it's way past the Legion of Boom. This is not good. This is not a good defense anymore. Outside of really Shaquille Griffin, they don't have a ton of plus players on that defense. They are giving up yards at reckless abandon into a roller coaster as Jameis Winston this past week. But th- this was one of the most pass-heavy offensive you know, game plans we've seen from the Seahawks in a long time, and they put up 40 points. Those are the teams that you want to see. I, I, obviously, they gave up a ton of points as well, but when you let Russell Wilson uncork it and you go against what Brian Schottenheimer has done with like a 65-35 run pass split, you put up points when you have Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. I think Schottenheimer needs to open it up even more against other defenses moving forward to win games more handedly because they have the personnel to do so. They have the quarterback to do so. You do not need to run the football at the rate he wants to with Chris Carson and Rashad Penny to win football games in the NFL. I think they saw that 
against Tampa Bay. Yeah, well, I'm glad we're, I'm not taking crazy pills and people are buying back in um, on the Seahawks. I think they're full of gold right now. Um, Cowboys or Eagles? Who are you higher on down the stretch? Because it seems like the those two are going to be battling for um, a ho- divisional home game, and I don't think either of them. I don't think both teams get into the playoffs based on how everything looks right now. But um, who are you higher on down the stretch? I would say the Cowboys right now, and they obviously still have to play tonight against against Danny Dimes and New York Giants. But Dak Prescott is playing a better, low, a higher level of football right now than Carson Wentz. I think that defense too for the Eagles is a legitimate liability, both scheme wise and and personnel wise. I think they're struggling, ton of miscommunication on the back end, running that kind of inverted cover three, and I think that's a huge concern. They're going to continue to give up points to Mitchell Trubisky. Almost lost that game against what was one of the worst games we've seen. Mitchell Trubisky. That was pretty incredible. I think this Eagles defense has too many woes in the secondary and not enough firepower offensively. I think now Deshaun Jackson might miss the rest of the year. They're struggling to get good production out of J.J. Sega Whiteside. This Eagles team has a ton of holes. I think, you know, a lot of times when we were talking, Eric Eager, one of the uh, data scientists here, we were watching the games together on Sunday talking about the Eagles remind me a lot of these Atlanta Falcons, man. They're, they're coming in close games with, you know, winning narrow lead in games that they should handle pretty easily because of some lackluster play on the defense side of the ball and up and down play offensively. I think this Eagles team can sometimes feel like fool's gold, lose to teams they shouldn't lose to. While Dallas, I know they lost to New York Jets. I still feel better about that offense and that defense. Yeah, I, I'm still going to go Eagles as long as Carson Wentz is healthy. I I don't know. It's really hard for me to back off that just the amount of talent they have. But it would be cool if their receivers caught balls downfield. Um, that would be nice. And their, and their corners and safeties got healthy. That would that would also be cool. Um, Kyler and Baker, I know you and myself very much love both of these quarterbacks. Having very different type seasons where Kyler, um, I think, has kind of gone under the radar a little bit. He's not getting kind of the, the hype that Baker did. Um, last year, but I think he's been he's been great and just keeping the Cardinals at 500 ish football, uh, based on what they were a year ago, is pretty incredible. Especially with who they have starting off the line, the lack of playmakers outside, outside of Christian Kirk, who he targets a bunch. Um, who, where are you at right now in the Baker Kyler stock watch? Are you at all worried about either of them? Are you higher on one more than the other long term? What is your what is your stance on the last two number one overall picks in the NFL? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll start with Baker. Obviously, loved him coming out of Oklahoma. He was PFS number one overall player in the 2018 NFL draft. Loved his rookie year. One of the better rookie years we've ever seen at PFF. But he's regressed. He's obviously regressed. It's more than just Brady Kitchens and the you know, the offense. It's more than the offensive line. He's regressed. He's, you know, he's actually he's taken a significant step back from a clean pocket, and as has his decision-making in clutch situations. But I will say he's not in a great situation. Freddie Kitchens has put, you know, put this offense in a weird spot where it's not really getting the ball to its playmakers, putting a lot on Baker's shoulders and taking a lot off and putting a lot back on. Very inconsistent, struggling to find an identity, kind of putting him in a bad situation to really evaluate his progression. I think no matter what, remove all of it, control for all the other variables. Baker Mayfield has significantly regressed, but I could see him bounce back with Kyler. I, I agree with you that he's you know flown under the radar. I think he, he's done a great job of not turning the ball over as a rookie. Shows great zip on the ball, great accuracy down the field. And he's doing it with that probably even worse supporting cast, bad receiving talent, not a great offensive yeah. line. Wait, let me let me correct that. A terrible offensive line. I think Kyler Murray has yeah. flown under the radar as having a very good season. 
Yeah. Um, who is running the coolest stuff on offense and defense this year? What team is running like when you're going through tape? You're like, oh, that's cool. That's a that's a nifty thing that they're doing there. And it could be one offense, one defense, depending on uh, the team. Yeah, the San Francisco 49ers offensively are, are, are running some great stuff. Specifically, just how diverse or versatile that running game is. They, they throw a lot of different looks at you. They t- throw a ton of different personnels, can run a lot of different things from those personnels. I think that he's one of the more creative play callers. But even though he, he makes simple things – or no, he makes creative things look simple, but they are really like next-level concepts, specifically in the ground game. He creates more open – and throws you know for his oh, Andy Reid does this too but Andy Reid and Shanahan create a ton of open throws with their play action design and all of that stuff I think both of those offensive play callers have been really fantastic and defensively I mean Greg Williams always gets creative I mean he sends that safety deep all the time but I, I'm in terms of who's actually having some success with their creativity defensively it's kind of hard to put one somewhere hmm I think you know I think the Niners I mean Robert Robert Salah is putting, you know, putting a lot of, you know, putting a lot of things, nice things out there. He's rushing the passer really well right now. I think the exact, I, I could go for both. There's already, I mean, they're running some simple concepts, but they're getting plus play out of Richard yeah. Sherman. Akella Witherspoon is one of the most improved players in the NFL going back to last year. I think he's had a great year so far. And obviously Nick Bosa and D Ford are tearing it up, up, up front. I think this defense added a couple pieces, but I really think a big part of that is Salah and what he's doing. Um, the Raiders, a team you're very familiar with, are they close to really turning the corner or like just being average? Because I, I don't even think we thought they were going to be average this year. I think a lot of us were pretty down on them and just what they gave up for AB and that going the way it did. Um, I don't know. And then losing their first round. I, I guess Abram, what was he, first or second round? I thought he was first. Was he late first? First. Yeah, he was first. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jonathan Abram was late first. Um, losing him for the year and he looked great. But... Are the Raiders close to really competing? I guess competing on a different scale because I just don't think they're ever going to be explosive enough to really compete with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid year in, year out over the next couple of years. But to get in that wild card zone where like that pseudo contention window, are they close to that? Yeah, I'd say so. I think they're close to competing as like a wild card berth, maybe winning a playoff game. I think the real problems mm-hmm. are still defense. I mean, they gave up a ton of yards. You know, there's, Still one of the worst defenses in the NFL at creating pressure. They give up a ton of yards through the air. They're they're not a good defense. They're a bad defense with an offense that's performing above expectation, but still missing a lot of pieces. And I think it's an offense that, with proper game planning, can be nullified. I mean, they don't have a good rece- good um, wealth of receiving weapons there. Tyrell Williams is kind of the only guy they have. They're leaning on Josh Jacobs, Jalen Richard, Darren Waller to kind of beat and. Hunter Renfro to beat this offense through the air, but for as long as Derek Carr is playing like he is right now, which I think is a top 10 borderline top five quarterback right now, obviously not when you factor in other factors, he's not a top five quarterback in the NFL, but he's playing like one right now. I think, you know, right now with this Gruden system, he is excelling on all levels. He's not pushing the ball downfield a ton, very low average depth of target, very quick release, but the execution has been near flawless. A very high adjusted completion percentage. He has the lowest percentage of uncatchable throws this season. Very accurate with the football. Like I said, they're not asking him to be Aaron Rodgers and, and you know carry you know hold the football a long time and push the ball downfield across four or five progressions. But he's doing this quick read, quick throw offense to to a T. He's executing it like he did at Fresno State, and I think when he's playing like that. 
under pressure and when kept clean, this offense is going to continue to roll. It's not dependent on, on, on superstars like Antonio Brown. You can get Darren Waller having a ton of success, Hunter Renfro, all of those things. I think this offense, John Gruden and Derek Carr look very good right now. Is it Adam Gase's fault that the Jets are as bad as they are offensively? Yes and no. I think the offense is underwhelmed. I think from a from a scheme standpoint, it's really conservative, and in some weeks it's not. They they don't really involve their playmakers like they should. Robbie Anderson should have double the amount of targets per game that he's averaging right now. Yeah. Sam Darnold needs to play better. That offensive line needs to play better. But I still think there are enough tools with the New York Jets for this offense to be better than it is. I think they obviously struggled when uh, Sam Darnold had mono, but since he's gotten back, it's still underwhelmed. I'd like to see this offense look better. Joe Burrow or Tua? Because I've seen a lot of, I mean, friends of the pod at the Draft Network have Joe Burrow going number one overall next year to the Bengals, who got a great weekend. Great weekend for the Bengals, with the Dolphins beating the Jets um, yesterday. Um, it looks like there's a very real chance that they're going to be selecting number one overall. If you were the Bengals, are you going Joe Burrow over Tua? And is it more about the injury concerns with Tua? Or do you think that Joe Burrow has blossomed into the best quarterback prospect in next year's draft? I'm all bomb for Burrow. No more tank for Tua. Okay. Bomb for Burrow. I think the Cincinnati Bengals should take him first overall. And it's not because of Tua Tagovailoa's injury concerns. I think Burrow, he's a rocket of draft boards for a very good reason right now. He's making all of the NFL throws. He's one of the PFF's highest graded quarterbacks. He's got great big time throws. I think he limits mistakes. I, I really do think this guy has taken a significant step forward. It's not like a one year starter flashing. He started. He played a ton last year, but this year he's really just like grown dramatically. It's one of the better like two year jumps we've seen. What he's able to do from a clean pocket now that he has more at LSU, I think really do think Burrow has shown that on a high average depth of target in a very aggressive offense can get it done. I think Cincinnati should take him number one. I really do like where he's at right now. Okay, um, the Chargers. Are they back? Can I borrow, like, as a just a gigantic Chargers homer for the last couple of years, my AFC just darling that I've been just devastated by for the first half of this year. Fired Kidden was in hunt middle of last week. The offense just did something no one's really been able to do against this Packers defense all year. Um, are, are you ready to buy back? on the the los angeles chargers are they are they good again can i can i get excited about the los angeles chargers in 2019 yeah i don't know if i'm ready to buy into the chargers i'll say that right now i still think it's one of the worst offensive lines in the nfl and i think yes the offense looked better against the green bay packers defense Jay alexander and it looked better against them but i think just as easily this chargers team to go against like Brandon Allen, the Denver Broncos, and lose just because it is such a high-low team right now that is struggling defensively more than we expected. Joey Bosa looks great. He's having a career year. But the secondary has taken a step back without Derwin James. This Chargers team, I'm not ready to buy in yet. I'm surprised with what they did against Green Bay, but I still need to see more before I go all in. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm ready to buy back in. So I, I'm going to – I'm going to – I'm going to do it. I, I don't care. I, I love the Chargers. Um, Minshew or Foles, what would you do if you're the Jaguars down the stretch? Could be, because I think the AFC South is still very much in reach for this team. Um, I'm all in on DJ Chark. He is absolutely a dude now. Um, what would you do if you're, the, the, if you're Doug Marone? 
I think before the fourth quarter against the Houston Texans in London, I was all in on Minshew. But that absolute like dismantlement of Gardner Minshew in the fourth quarter, two very bad interceptions and then a bad fumble on a scramble, I think was a microcosm of just he's not ready. I, I think Minshew still needs time if he's going to really compete against good defenses in the NFL. Also, putting Foles in there, I think, makes him a, tr- a better trade chip in the offseason if you do think Gardner Mitchell maybe is the guy of the future. But I do think maybe Nick Foles comes in, see what you have out of him. You paid him all this money, come in. Because, I mean, on the play he got hurt, it was an absolute dime down the field. I don't know if people remember that. I think Nick Foles could have been looking just as good, if not better, than Minshew if he was healthy. I think they do try out uh, Foles when he gets healthy. All right. That's, oh man, Minshew mania. I guess that was like the biggest thing was his fourth quarter um, specialness and it, it it was not there this week. So that's, that's not good. I know you're a big Terry McLaurin guy. It's like the only positive in Washington this season. What makes him a, a special receiver out there in DC? Well, he's got a great size and great speed. And I think he also has great change of direction. I think his route running is very underrated. I think he reminds me a lot of just these other Ohio State receivers that were maybe not used to their you know full potential. You know, look at Michael Thomas. He wasn't super highly regarded coming out. I think he slipped to the second round. He looks outstanding in an NFL offense that isn't running just pure verticals and and all those things that or crossing routes. Like you also look at um, Curtis Samuel, who was used largely as a gadget player at Ohio State, now playing almost uh, predominantly outside receiver for the Carolina Panthers. He looks fantastic, showing up good routes good speed, contested catchability. Terry McLaurin, overshadowed from a production standpoint by Paris Campbell, but obviously the better route runner, the better NFL prospect. And he's showing that against press, off coverage, great change of direction, great hands. I think McLaurin is easily one of the better receivers in this class, and he's showing that early doors. Trubisky, what is he missing? Everything, I guess, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in one word. Unfortunately, <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky is missing a lot. But you know, the biggest problem left. is that Mitchell Trubisky, <laughs> yeah, he definitely misses left. I think, I think the biggest thing with Trubisky is that he's an inaccurate quarterback, struggles in and out of structure because of that. And like we've seen in the NFL, inaccurate quarterbacks with the football struggle to you know sustain long careers. If you if you can't consistently put the ball in the right area of the football field, even in, in the right area of the, the guy you're intending to throw the ball to, you're going to struggle. And I think that's what we've seen with Trubisky. That's what we saw as a rookie. I mean, that's what we've seen in these all, all these following years. And now I think Bears fans are finally starting to realize, even though PFF was saying for a while now that he wasn't that good. And now they're realizing now that they're losing games four straight, they're ready to pull the plug on Trubisky. Yeah, it's not good because like it's just – they traded up for him in a draft that had Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson go after him. Like, it's just, if you're a Bears fan, like, there's nothing more sickening than looking at this defense, the playmakers outside, the, just the Montgomery pick was great, and what they had last year, they just had taken Watson or Mahomes instead. Like, we're talking about the Bears as just a potential long-term dynasty in the NFL. And instead, their Ryan Pace is going to have to be very... um he has to think outside of the box to to remedy this quarterback situation um, this offseason because uh, I think his job depends on it. Um, what has been the biggest change for the Packers defense uh, this year from a year ago? Hmm, I think adding Preston Smith and Zedarius Smith has been huge. I think it, just adding, even though I don't think those neither of those guys are elite pass rushers, they're good pass rushers and it's off the edge. And I think that's what the Packers haven't had 
in a while now. Now that there's like a legitimate presence off both edges, Kenny Clark is having more success. The pass rush is getting there, and now the secondary is even having more success. Kevin King looks better. Tyler Alexander obviously looks fantastic this year. I think that defense getting pressure off the edge from two stable guys and what they're calling the Smith brothers has been a huge improvement for Green Bay. What are you more surprised about uh, in 2019, the Detroit's offensive line or Minnesota's? Ooh, that's interesting. I think Detroit's offensive line has really taken a step. I like Radio, yeah. Taylor Decker, Glasgow, but all those guys are playing really well right now. I think Minnesota, I think it's being disguised a bit by scheme. I, I think Brian O'Neill is playing out as expected. I'm really surprised by Garrett Bradbury because I didn't think he'd be this bad out of the gates. He's really struggled in pass protection. I think right now Detroit, though, how it's playing in a very aggressive offense, too. They're asking Matthew Stafford to hold the ball, throw it deep downfield, a lot of long dropbacks, and they're still performing above expectation. I think that Detroit offensive line has been great. Do you believe in Baltimore's offensive structure and scheme um, being something that can work in the NFL year over year? Yes, 100%. If it, can beat, if it can beat Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, I think he could stay in the NFL for quite some time. I think the next time they play Bill Belichick, which will probably be in the playoffs, deep in the playoffs, he's going to have some more answers for them. But I still think it's a sustainable offense for as long as Lamar Jackson is healthy and that offensive line continues to play like it is. Because it's more than Lamar Jackson in the highlight reel runs. You know, Ronnie Stanley, the Notre Dame left tackle, is having a career year. Orlando Brown Jr. as well. Marshall Yonda. They have really good guys up front, and that's what really – paves way for this offense. I think it reminds me a lot of Greg Roman's offense from a few years back with Colin Kaepernick and the San Francisco 49ers. They went all the way to the Super Bowl with that kind of offense. It wasn't as similar. They didn't do as many QB design runs, but I mean, they still did a very similar offense running with the quarterback at ton, Colin Kaepernick at the time. This offense looks legit. I think it can be very good if a lot of the pieces stay in place. I think it's harder to sustain because you need a lot of pieces to get it going. You don't just need an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees. But if you do keep these pieces intact, it can be sustained. Yeah, I'm more worried about Justin Tucker missing extra points. You don't love to see it anymore. <laughs> like Mr. Reliable, missing an extra point last night. Um, one of the most interesting Twitter things, and I know you're very high on the 49ers, as am I as a Kyle Shanahan disciple, um, has been whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo has been largely responsible for this incredible start to the season. What have you seen? Do you think the last two weeks um, have been very different than what he was the first couple of weeks of the season? Or do you think he's been a top 10, top 15 quarterback all season long? What What is the real accurate take on Jimmy Garoppolo's 2019 campaign? So I, I really had reservations about Garoppolo. Contact him as a game manager in a very good, well-schemed Kyle Shanahan offense before the Arizona game. Because I think Arizona came at them hit him in the mouth, and, and forced Jimmy Garoppolo to throw, and he looked very, very good. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo proved me wrong in a lot of ways. I think if you can see that Jimmy G that we saw on Thursday night against other better defenses, the San Francisco 49ers team is way scarier than I thought it was through the first six or seven weeks because Jimmy G probably played the best game of his career. I mean, even shouted out Aaron Andrews after the game as a result. I think he knew he was on fire that one. I think Jimmy G looked very good in that one, and I think – if the San Francisco 49ers want to be legit contenders, Super Bowl contenders, they need that kind of Jimmy Garoppolo to, to, uh, going forward. All right. Final two questions. Um, is Cleveland still going to be the best head coach vacancy uh, this offseason? 
Wow, that is a fantastic question. I, I would say it's hard to say it would be the best. I mean, I think, you know, if Dan Quinn does move out of there, I really still like that Falcons roster if they can hang on to Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. But I still believe in Baker Mayfield. I still believe in Odo Beckham Jr. I think that offensive line needs help defensively, specifically in the secondary. They need some help. They need some depth. But Baker Mayfield, as a quarterback, I, I'm still in love. I, I still think in the right scheme, in the right offense, he can have success and, and a lot of this, like, Know, all the memes and stuff kind of start to go away because they still think one he's an accurate quarterback that matters first and foremost i still think he's one of the few very accurate quarterbacks in the nfl and two i think he plays well under pressure play well out of structure i think having a bad year obviously taking a step back with high expectations to boot but i think he bounces back i think a head coach that knows what he's doing knows how to command a locker room could try to change this around yeah I would agree. I think it's one of the two. And I also don't think there are going to be that many changes um, this offseason. But I will tell people, and this is something that I've been stressing recently, is, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I, my guess, and I'm interested to see how the fallout of this all unfolds. It's going to be um, annoying on Twitter, and I'm going to stay away from this conversation there. But I, my hunch is still that Zach Taylor goes 0-16 and keeps his job in Cincinnati, and Brian Flores loses his job in Miami after going 1-15. And I I don't think it's really be, yeah like that offense is so bad that it, the thing that you can bank on is the offensive coordinators getting a longer leash a longer leash um, long term where it's like oh well guess what Zach Taylor is playing eleven personnel they have a bunch of talent outside like they're not like I just the offensive minded coaches get a longer leash and. I what we saw with Steve Wilkes last year, where they posted a, a bottom worst, a bottom ten uh, offensive DVOA all time, where it was just putrid all year long. And Chad O'Shea doesn't seem like he's the the long term guy there. So at the very least, I'm sure he'll be replaced. But I I don't think you've seen enough there where I'm like, oh yeah, he's going to survive one in fifteen. I think there is a very real possibility that he gets let go um, in a similar way to what Steve Wilkes um suffered last year in arizona i think that is very much in play and it's gonna be wild to see if that is what actually happens yeah i don't know i think both those guys might keep their jobs i really do think i think i, I know cincinnati is not going to move on from Zach Taylor. Agree, there's just yes. no way there's no way they move on from him after this year i think a lot of it has been out of his control and i think they have faith in that offense when the first round pick doesn't go down for the year. And yeah. when other things kind of go there, when AJ Green plays the first half of the year, I think a lot of things are different. And with Miami, I, I would be really surprised. I'm not as convinced. I think I'm a more, a more close to 100% sure Zach Taylor stays, but less close for Brian Flores. But I can't imagine this, this, you know, this Dolphins organization even going into this year with high expectations for Brian Flores and this offense and this, I mean, this team. I think. They should. They owe him another year. I would be really upset to see them kind of you know move on from him. I just, I don't have faith in the NFL owners in this kind of category. I, I just don't. And I think I, I don't know. Maybe I'm too much of a cynic. Maybe I don't. I don't know. But um, you heard it here first, Austin. That Zach Taylor and not Brian Flores gets let go after this year. Um, my last thing, and then we'll then we'll go. Uh, we've talked about the Bills, but uh, are you at all? So I guess how could I frame this? Because we already touched on this a little bit, but this was my favorite thing. Is like, is there any chance the Bills don't lose their first playoff game this year? I think it depends who they play. I, I think you know you go against maybe a bad a bad AFC a AFC team. You could see this defense in Buffalo 
kind of with the tables breaking in the background, they win a game. But, like, but if they go that? against, they might you know, get they have Houston. To... Like they're probably gonna get an AFC South team, right? Because they're probably gonna get the fifth. Yeah, team. yeah, yeah. And if it's Texans, like the Texans are gonna score all over them. Like there's no chance against Texans. I guess you could have a rock fight with the Titans, maybe, or the Colts, like Joe Kobe Brissett and that offense versus. Um, oh God, the NFL is already just dreading whatever <laughs> this matchup is, unless it's the Texans. But good God. Yeah, if it's the Texans, I think Buffalo wins that one. I mean, oh, uh, Houston wins that oh, one. Oh, I was going to say. Houston okay. wins that one pretty easily. But, I mean, Buffalo against Indianapolis, I mean, I don't know. I could see I could see Buffalo winning that one just because that, that offense doesn't scare me. I don't know when Jacoby Brissett's coming back. I don't know. I think it, it depends on who they play. If they go against a legitimate offense that can score 20-plus points a game against any defense, I think this Buffalo team goes down in flames in, in wild card round. All right. Um, I lied. I have one more thing, and I just thought about this. Um, Cam Newton or Teddy Bridgewater, who's more likely to be the Chicago Bears starting quarterback next year? Ooh, wow. I think it's – who does Nagy want? That's where my mind yeah. goes to. Where, where, who would Nagy want to – I think he would love Cam Newton. I think – I don't know, because I think he knows his offense can create open throws. But, again, does he want another inactive quarterback? I can't imagine him wanting that. I think Teddy Bridgewater could be interesting. I also think going to the draft makes sense, because – I don't know if there are going to be. You know, you got Jameis Winston. No, they don't. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they don't. But you also have Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota going to be free agents this offseason. That that could be very interesting to see in Chicago. There's a ton of options there. I wonder where they are going to go. What I've been saying, Mariota needs to do whatever it takes. He needs to call Bill Belichick 18 times a day. Get his agent to just call him over and over again to let him be um, Tom Brady's backup for two years. That's what I would do. Do what Teddy did and revitalize your career. Go behind with Josh McDaniels for a couple years. Just do that. Like we know that Belichick was very much in on Lamar Jackson. Just bring like that's how you revitalize your career. That's the new model, the Teddy model. Just go behind a system with the smart offensive mind. Um, sit, wait your turn. Quarterbacks get hurt because uh, half the league has lost their starting quarterback at one point this season. So you'll eventually play just by probability. That's what I would do. If I'm Marcus Mariota, yeah. I'm doing whatever it takes to get to New England and sit for a, a year. That would be a good fit, too. I think Bill, Check, Bill Belichick would go after that. I think he would like to have Marcus Mariota as the backup to Tom Brady. I think that that's, that's a better fit than maybe Jameis going to be the backup to Tom Brady. I don't uh, see that happening, yeah, no, but thanks. I think Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota in New England as a backup would be huge for him. I think that would help him out a ton. Yeah, I don't know where Jameis goes. I don't think it matters. I think I'm out on Jameis altogether. I could see Mariota finding success somewhere else i just i don't see Jameis finding success anywhere else i think he's going to be a career backup at this point he's like he's like chad henning without people realizing he's chad henning <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm i'm out and also not a guy that i really want to root for anymore and ever really wanted to root for so anyway austin gale is there anything we should check out on pff.com this week it is monday a lot of content coming out today like you said the team of the week that i love on pff.com um what can we check out from you and just the the site in general yeah uh this week we're going to be you know, dropping some wide receiver rankings we're also going to be you know showing our pass rusher rankings by pass rush grades so far this year really diving into the grades as we kind of move past the midway point of the season could be dropping some single team feature stuff to looking at a deeper dive at what's wrong with the cleveland browns continuing to look at that and also how legit is this ravens team we might also dive into that all right, Austin, we can find you at PFF underscore Austin Gale on Twitter. Thank you, as always, for making the time. Um, we will be in touch soon, sir. Of course. Thank you.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.